0: Welcome to Inside the Vatican with America Media. Each week, veteran Vatican reporter Gerard O'Connell and I will take you behind the headlines for an intergenerational conversation about the biggest stories out of the Vatican. This week, we'll update you on why the Vatican seems to be lowering expectations for its February meeting on sexual abuse. Then, we'll talk about World Youth Day, and how Pope Francis is helping young people change the church. I'm Colleen Dully. This is Inside the Vatican. All right, good morning from New York, Jerry. Good
1: morning from a cold and wet Rome, Colleen.
0: It's freezing here as well. Yeah,
1: they promise snow in the coming days.
0: It's going to get better for you, though, because you're on your way to Panama tomorrow, right?
1: Yeah, from the freezer into the fire. (laughs)
0: Let's get into our first story. Last week, the day after we recorded, the Vatican held a press conference announcing some of the plans for the February meeting on sexual abuse. A lot of it was what we reported in our November episode, called Will the Vatican Sexual Abuse Summit Make a Difference? So if you want to know the basics, we'll link to that episode in the show notes. What's new at this point is that there are very high expectations going into this meeting, and it seems like the Vatican is trying to lower them. Here's a quote from last week's press conference. There are excessive media expectations in view of the upcoming meeting, as if it were an event halfway between a council and a conclave. That is, somewhere between, like, Vatican II and the election of a new pope. The Vatican's new spokesman said that this meeting isn't as significant as meetings like those, and he's concerned that giving the February meeting too much attention will blow it out of proportion. That's hard for Americans to hear, since many of us believe that sexual abuse is the most important issue the Church is facing. So to understand where the Vatican is coming from, let's talk first about whose expectations they're trying to lower. The press conference was addressed to the media, but Jerry said it's about other groups too.
1: Well, there are groups who feel that they would like the abuse of women on the agenda, others who want the question of uh, homosexuality on the agenda, others who uh, want changes to canon law. And uh, a three-day meeting is not going to be a fix-all. It's going to be, as the Pope says, at the beginning of a process. The process has already started way back, but there's, it's a new phase in the process where they're moving into more definitive positions. When they said there was a lowering of expectations, I think that's what they're aiming at.
0: The thing is, this press conference might be lowering expectations more than is necessary. At the meeting, the bishops will be breaking into working and discussion groups, and in those groups, they may end up addressing and even making resolutions on some of the topics that people want to be raised. Jerry said it's possible that the bishops will come up with proposals for changes to canon law or for the establishment of local bodies that would investigate or even try sexual abuse cases. But the biggest issue for the Vatican, like we've said before, is getting all the bishops on the same page about sexual abuse, and specifically on the Vatican's zero-tolerance policy that's been in place since around 2010.
1: The question is, are all the bishops' conferences in agreement on zero-tolerance policy? The Pope is calling for it, Mm -hmm. but are they, or do they see some problems with this?
0: Which bishops' conferences... Might not be on board with zero tolerance. That sounds surprising to me.
1: Well, the zero tolerance emerged, first of all, out of the United States and out of the follow on from the Boston scandal and the Dallas meeting. And that's where it came up. I remember I was at the meeting here in Rome when, you know, one strike and you're out uh, policy. And that kind of shocked people here in the Vatican at that time because they said, well, You know, if you operate in this way, would Peter have ever become Pope or ever the leader of the church? He denied Christ? You may find it strange. I do. Yeah. But uh, in the the past, when there was an allegation against a priest, he was called in by the bishop. He would probably have been sent for assessment or for uh, psychiatrists, meetings with psychiatrists, with others to see if this problem is one that remains or whether he can overcome it and and go back to living in the ministry. Now we're beyond this phase now. We're beyond it. This is no longer the case. But I'm talking about way back in 2002. Right. Today, if you look at where the cases have emerged, they haven't emerged in every country so far. Right. Now, why is this? Is it that uh, some countries there are no such cases? Well, by the Pope bringing all the bishops together, it's obviously an indication that he sees the problem as global, not localized or regionalized. Mm-hmm. Uh, some bishops may be on a learning curve when they come to this conference.
0: Those bishops who aren't on the same page are the ones who come from places where fewer cases of abuse are reported, And that happens for a variety of social and cultural reasons. What Pope Francis is trying to communicate with this global meeting is that just because abuse cases are not reported doesn't mean that abuse isn't happening. And he wants the bishops to know that too. So there are different groups measuring the success of this meeting differently. For some, it's whether the church makes changes on their specific issues. For the Vatican, it's whether they can get everyone to understand and implement zero-tolerance. But Jerry says he thinks that there's one issue that underlies all of it.
1: Many people are coming with agendas, but I think what everybody is looking for is the question of how they deal with accountability and how they deal with accountability, not just for priests, but also for bishops. I think this will be the litmus test of whether the meeting is really coming to grips with the problem because it's not sufficient just to investigate and punish priests for uh, misconduct or for uh, various kinds of uh, abuse. It's also necessary that the bishops are put under the same scrutiny and that they're held accountable for either sexual abuse, abuse of power, abuse of conscience, or failure to act omission. So I I think this will be one of the, I expect this to be one of the points that's made very forcibly at the meeting.
0: I'll be joining Jerry in Rome to cover the February meeting on sexual abuse for Inside the Vatican. Until then, you can read Jerry's reporting on plans for the meeting at americamagazine.org. As always, we'll link his articles in the show notes. Our second story this week isn't happening inside the Vatican, it's happening in Panama, where a couple million young people in their 20s and teens from around the globe, but especially Latin America, are gathered for World Youth Day. Jerry will be on the ground in Panama covering the event this week, but for the Inside the Vatican podcast, we wanted to talk about the impact that World Youth Day is having on the Vatican. To understand this, we have to look first at how Pope Francis is decentralizing power in the church and giving it to young people like he did with last year's Synod on Young People, and now is doing with World Youth Day.
1: The Pope sees it very clearly as a follow-up to the Synod on Young People. The Synod on Young People, they had a long preparation for it. They had a pre-Synod meeting here in Rome where young people came in from all over the world, and then you had the Synod meeting.
0: The Vatican followed that same type of structure for World Youth Day as well. They had a pre-World Youth Day meeting that involved listening to young people about their concerns, and then the Vatican let the local church in Panama guide the planning for the event, in the same way that they allowed young people to guide a lot of the discussion at the Synod. In both of these events, we're seeing Pope Francis decentralizing power from the Vatican and giving it to the local churches, and to young people. Jerry told me today that the Pope is likely also leaving the final decisions from the Synod in the hands of local churches and guided by young people. Jerry said Pope Francis is likely not going to write a follow-up to the Synod as he was expected to do, which means that the document of recommendations that the young people and bishops at the Synod worked on together will be the final word from the Synod. Now it's up to local churches to put those recommendations into action.
1: Remember, Francis has come from the periphery. He didn't study in Rome. He never worked in Rome. Uh, he hasn't a centralist mentality. Right. And, and he was very convinced that the local church should be able to do many things. And only those issues or questions or problems that they cannot resolve at the local level, only those should come to Rome. And mm-hmm. that's called decentralization. And it's also the question of what they call subsidiarity. Right. That that what can be resolved at the lower local level shouldn't move to another level, at an international level or a Roman level. So he, he's, he, he feels that the local churches, I mean, if you go back to the early history of the churches, of the church, you find that the local churches had a lot of resolving power. They were able to deal with their problems. On some questions, they would come to Rome for guidance or clearance. I, I think Francis is moving in this direction.
0: Is that a change that you think might hold after Francis?
1: Yes. I, I think uh, that as he himself has said he's, he's starting processes. He, he's not looking for instant answers. He's not looking for a solution in 12 months. What he wants is he's changing the culture. Uh, that We have a Catholic church. Uh, which means a universal church. We haven't a Roman church only, uh, where the European mentality or the Roman mentality dictates how questions are run.
0: But it's not just Pope Francis changing the church. The young people who attend World Youth Day also have a huge impact on their bishops and on popes. Jerry has been covering World Youth Day since it first started in 1985. Here's a little of what he's seen over the years
1: remember what happens at the World Youth Day. The Pope comes yet, but also bishops and priests from the different countries accompany their young people. Mm -hmm. And they have catechetical sessions, discussions. So the young people relate to each other, but also the the bishops uh, relate to the young people. And so there's this kind of transgenerational, if you like, <laughs> uh, element, which is essential in the young. in the. And I, I've seen that it's been very important for those bishops who've traveled with the young people, how they have been affected by watching and seeing what happens.
0: Oh, that's interesting. Can you give an example of that?
1: Well, they have fraternized in a way that perhaps they do so less easily at home because they're out of their own context. They're in a new situation. But I think the biggest, I've watched many of these. I saw the first one way back in 1985, and I've been at several of them. And I've been quite impressed by how the young people take, this gathering in their hands. I remember when Pope Benedict was made Pope and, in April, and then I think it was in July, they had a World Youth Day in uh, Germany, mm-hmm. in Cologne. And I, I got, very much got the impression that the, it was as if the young people were adopting the Pope.
0: That's funny. You should say more about that.
1: He, he came uh, and he seemed like uh, somebody who was walking into a new world. And he began to enjoy it. And you could see a new happiness in him.
0: Jerry's experiences at World Youth Day show us what happens when young people are able to share our gifts with the church. We bring energy, enthusiasm, and new perspectives that can change the outlook of church leaders like popes and bishops who, because of their jobs, might not always spend a lot of time with young people. The perspective that church leaders will encounter in Panama this week is not your typical Roman perspective. And that seems to be just fine with Pope Francis. It matches up with a lot of his other moves to decentralize the power structures of the Church. Before we go, if you've been enjoying the show, maybe you've learned something new, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps us get the word out about the show. Inside the Vatican is produced by me, Colleen Dully. Our executive producer is Eric Sundra. Our news producer is Kevin Clark. Our audio engineer is Kieran Freeman. Inside the Vatican is Mixed by Oliver Lazarus. Our studio manager is Leopold Stubner. You can find in-depth and up-to-date Vatican coverage at americamagazine.org or follow us on Twitter at americamag. For America Media, I'm Colleen Dully with Gerard O'Connell. See you next week.